It's an awesome day. We are here on the first day of this third month. Isn't it wonderful? We ended the month in the house of the Lord yesterday, and we are beginning the month again in the house of the Lord. Okay, US, you got 38 minutes to go before you will enter into March. But we just thank, thank God that the whole world from Japan to Alaska, all the nations in between, where we see the specter of communism under the cloak of socialism and under the cover of the pandemic trying to take over nations, we finally, after weeks, months of silence, we had a leader speak our morning, their night. I think people were just waiting for somebody to speak for them. And he spoke at the CPAC meeting again. President Trump is back in the ring again. <laughs> we just need a voice. We need political voices also. <clears throat> Throughout history, God has used individuals, men. That's what we see in the whole book of Genesis and also in history to change history. And we'll also see the enemy, the devil also has used individuals to change Israel's history or the world's history. So that's why we're studying also Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is about one person who did an incredible job. So before we go into the word, we'll just once again look to the Lord, thank him for taking care of us for two months, <coughs> bringing us to the third month. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We come with thanksgiving, we come with praise, we come with adoration because, Lord, you are good. And you're always good to us, Lord. We just want to thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. This morning, I bring the church before thee. Your people who are called by your name, wherever they are, Lord, we have you. You are our fortress, our shield, our buckler, you are our righteousness, you are our salvation, you are our provider. And I pray this morning, March the 1st, through this month, 31 days, Lord, we'll experience the hand of God over our lives at every step. We'll keep our eyes on you, and we know, Lord, you always keep your eyes on us. We'll keep our mind stayed on you. And we know, Lord, your mind is always on us. For your word says the thoughts that you have towards us cannot be counted. Help us, Lord. To start this month and finish this month in faith. So that the righteousness of God that comes by faith may be fulfilled in the lives of your children. To that end, I commit the ministry of your word, Lord. Let it generate faith. Bring us to grace and bring out the righteousness of God in our lives. Speak, Father. Teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we did four chapters of the book of Nehemiah. <coughs> Nehemiah, the leader, a man with a burden. It all begins with a burden. There are the situations that will unfold in every generation. 
Nehemiah's generation, <coughs> he's in Babylon, but he hears about the ruins of Jerusalem and he's broken. Okay, so different people. Josiah, young king, he gets, they find the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, while they were cleaning their temple, they found the law of the Lord. It was brought to him. They read it out and he was broken. Okay, when you hear something, everybody hears. But everybody is not moved. Movements have started because somebody was moved. Somebody has moved. And that person either alone or gathers a set of people and from there a movement starts. That's how history is shaped, especially God's history is shaped on earth. But ultimately, God was moved by the fall of man. He said he looked for one man and he found none. So his right hand worked out salvation. Okay, so that's Nehemiah, man with a burden. Not just a burden. Because he prays, he becomes a man with a vision. Okay, he's not just a man with a vision. Because once you have a God-given burden and a God-given vision, you will see opposition will rise from every quarter. The enemy will bring everything that is in his hands against us. And because the whole world lays under the sway of the wicked one, the opposition we will face is not just spiritual, it is also physical. So that leader has to be a man with resilience who doesn't quit. Quitters cannot be leaders and genuine leaders never quit. Never quit. And even if they, they even if they retreat, it is always will be a strategic retreat aimed towards victory. So it's not actually a retreat. So God needs leaders who doesn't give up in the face of the obstacles or enemies, physical, spiritual. These are primary leadership qualities which we learn from Nehemiah. Like I said, we are not learning history. We just have to go through those chapters fast. We are learning what God is trying to teach us. This. So we will see. <clears throat> he faced the enemies that were outside Outside, basically, <clears throat> Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are primarily enemies that are aligned with the enemy. So even if it's your flesh, for the new man, the flesh is outside. It is not, it is in you, but it's not part of you. He refuses to accept it has a, otherwise you will not, you will imprison your flesh. But you don't imprison your flesh, you kill your flesh. If you kill, you are refusing to acknowledge the flesh is part of you. It is not part of your movement. But now he's going to face probably the greatest challenge anybody faces, okay, in chapter 5. He's going to face the greatest challenge. <clears throat> in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, the most difficult challenge any movement faces. And there was the great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. Now this is dissension in the camp, division in the camp. This is the most difficult and the painful to handle. For there were those who said, we, our sons, our daughters are many. Therefore let us grain that we may eat and live. There was also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, houses, that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. 
Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Okay? So, this is the worst of all. And I mean, if you look at Nehemiah 5, 1 to 5, it's the picture of the world today, especially in nations like US. It's debt upon debt upon debt. And creditors are coming. Debt upon debt. Small businesses all have crashed. They don't know how to pay their mortgages. You know, they live in a different kind of a society. And India too, like the, the one set of the people have gone that way. Everything is on mortgage. Everything is born on debt financing and loans. But everything is based on the assumption you will have a job or your business will prosper. But when it doesn't, what happens? Everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. And here you have this. But the problem is the dissension that is coming from within. The division, the dissension. And Jesus said this in Matthew 12 and verse 22, 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Okay? Will not stand. So you need to realize he's brought it to house, city, nation. A house that is divided will ultimately fall. A city that is divided will ultimately fall. And a kingdom that is divided will ultimately. This is the weakness of democracy. Democracy has strengths. But it's an inherent Weakness that you always have to have consensus and usually there is no consensus. So you will always see in democratic setups, nations, two kinds of parties. One of the parties which are free, allow freedom to express and make your choices and then there are what you call cater-based parties. These cater-based parties are communist in their ideology, living in a free society. So they don't allow dissension. And even if their dissension is they cover it and gang together just for the sake of power. While the other parties will be rift with the dissension. Dissensions. And that's what we see in India too. The Congress is literally disintegrating. Disintegrate. Okay. And you will see in US, the Democratic Party, though they have so many varied groups over there, outside they always put a picture of unity because they are motivated by one thing, power at any cost. But on the other side, it's a party that talks always about liberty, freedom, expression, all that. Okay, So you know what happens? The devil will always use the cracks in democratic setups. Okay, and we have to be very, very careful about it. Yes, freedom and liberty are fundamental to life because that's what God gave us. But we have to be very, very careful that we do not play into the hands of the enemy. Hands to the enemy. And that's what is happening over there. It is dissension in the camp. This division in the camp. Now, this is not coming from Sanbala, Tobaya or Geshem. Okay. Because the devil knows if he can create discontent and dissension and division, that the whole purpose of building will be defeated. Either we are building a home 
a city or a nation. Right? We live in Hyderabad. We all live in homes. We are building a home. If we build homes, we'll build our city. If we build our city, we'll build a nation. Ultimately, that's. But if the home is divided, the city will be divided, the nation will be divided. So where does the devil work? He works in homes. Understand the principle. He works in homes. He works in individuals. First, he divides a person. Divide suppers. It's very smart. He knows scripture so well. Even we don't know scripture, he knows. A divided mind receives nothing from God. So if he divides a person, he's, he knows he's helpless. God is not going to do, give anything to him. So he divides a man, he divides a home, he divides a city, and he divides a nation. Okay? God also divides. God divides by truth. The devil divides by lies. But when God divides by truth, the people who are divided on the right side of truth, they come together, then they're united by truth and love and they're unbeatable. That is why we don't need numbers on God's side. We don't need numbers. One can put a thousand to flee, two can put ten thousand. Why don't we need numbers on this side, our side, if you're standing with God and his truth? It's because of the unity that is forged by truth and by love. On the other side, you will always know, see, they need numbers. They need numbers. They need numbers to control. It is always numbers in people, numbers in money, numbers. It is always connected with that. Otherwise, they cannot control. Okay, so please understand fundamental principles because we forget otherwise what we are doing. So if you're building walls and you're building homes, we are building the temple, the problem is we forget what are we building it for? Who are we building it for? We will say we are building it for God. But primarily God doesn't need a place to stay. He said, what are you going to build for me to stay? I don't need a place to stay. So ultimately we are building it for people. Don't forget it. Everything that we build is for God because God is the author. But even what God is doing, he's doing it for people. That's what I try to keep sound, yeah? Um, telling the worship team too. Yes, we worship God. But the whole purple of purpose, the other purpose of... Can you hear me? I don't know. Sound is gone. Come, Now, mom won't be able to hear a lot. Okay. I know my wife. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what happens is, we also forget the whole purpose of the worship is that the whole congregation can worship God. We worship God, but we worship God, not I worship God. There are eight people in the worship team worship God. That's why I always say go back to the old songs always because you know what? Every time there is a song, everybody knows the atmosphere in the church is different. I know worship team loves new songs because you are tuned to songs. But when you come on a Sunday morning, we are tuned to worship. You can use new songs here because it's only four or five people. But on a Sunday, you have to never forget. The whole idea is to get the whole congregation to worship God. And that is where don't try always new stuff. Once in a while, you can bring in a new one or after they have heard five days here, you can bring a new one. But Sunday, the worship should flow. This is not the time to learn songs. It's not the time to learn songs. It is the time to worship God because there is God and there is people. So you build walls, you build a temple. What about the state of the people? That's the issue here. We forget the people always because after the fall, we know Adam and Eve, after they fell, where there are people, 
there will be problems. But we cannot avoid problems by avoiding people. That is not a solution. Okay? But by the way we address and deal the problems, we will grow. That's why there are problems. Okay? There are problems. The fundamental purpose of life, life, is relationships. Never forget that. It's not even work. If my work doesn't foment strong relationships, I have failed in my work. God doesn't need workers. God works. That's his nature. God doesn't need workers. He's got a billion angels, a billion, billion, billion angels to do his work. And they will do it efficiently without blinking their eyes very fast. But that's not the issue. The issue is that's when God said, let us make man in our image one of the facets of his image, Jesus, when he prays, when he speaks, will say, Father, make them one as we are one. What is the image of the Trinity? They are one in relationship. In their relationship, there is unity. Okay? And like yesterday, I was, uh, yesterday when I was talking to a couple, I was telling them, Sammy is still vibrating. Okay? It disturbs me. The sound is vibrating. That's what I'm saying. It's not the volume. It's the, the vibration. No, no, I don't think it's yes. Yeah. Uh, the first thing God says in the book of Genesis is, it is not, after he created man, everything, it's not good for man to be alone. So I, whenever I talk to couples, I will say, don't forget the first thing that is mentioned about a marriage. It is fellowship. Everything else is secondary. It's not babies. It's not a house. It's not work. First thing he says, it's not good for man to be alone. The purpose of marriage is fellowship. That's why God says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You will say, what's the problem? The house can be fine. We can have better salaries and better homes and children, all these things. But that's not the point. What happens is fellowship goes. And the fundamental purpose of a marriage is fellowship. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with men, that's what it means. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor. And you cannot love without fellowship. And fellowship is a huge ship. It has got many fellows in it. Okay? So it's not talking. It is not talking. It is not talking. It's a unity that comes from sharing life together. That is why God says, these two shall no longer be two, they shall be one. Okay, the oneness of the Trinity is reflected in the oneness in the marriage, in the home, and then in the church. And Paul says, it's a mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. So when you come to Nehemiah chapter 5, you see even the women are complaining. So it's really, really bad. Okay, verse 2, first group has nothing. Why? Because they're literally living on subsidy. They have nothing. They have nothing. They need to be subsidized by somebody. They have nothing. In verse 3, what has happened? The landowners have mortgaged everything. Everything belongs to the money lender. The sharks, the loan sharks. We're not talking about banks. Banks are also loan sharks. Okay? The loan sharks. Everything is owned by them. And verse 4, on top of that is the taxation to give to the Gentile king. See, the taxman cares two hoots about your problems. No? 
It's the price of gas in India. 100 rupees a liter. No? So, the joke is that we are not producing you, we are not giving you gas. We are taxing you and gas is the benefit. That's the joke. Because they cannot tax us because people have no more money, so tax. I mean, I probably, right now in the world, gas is the, high, the most expensive in India. In India. Okay. In India. Even the small, poorer, weaker countries like Bangladesh and Pakistan, gas is cheaper. And they're supposed to be much poorer than us. But you see, this is the problem. No, the tax, the burden. And people don't realize when you tax gas, the price of everything goes up. Because everything is transported on gas. Vehicles that run on gas. Everything goes up. The the merchant is not going to take the loss. Ultimately, the consumer has to pay for everything. It passed on to us. Everything is passed on to us. So tax upon tax upon tax upon upon tax. So the burden of tax. Okay, And you will realize as soon as a new dispensation comes in, what do they do? They raise tax. Okay, But the more you tax, it does not work. It actually does not work. You have to bring tax rates down to see that people have an incentive to work hard and businesses thrive and more revenue comes in. The more you tax, the less an economy works. But you need to realize power brokers sitting at the top do not care for people. Okay. So now what are happening? The worst thing is verse 5. Where is this coming from? This is coming from within. The Jews are selling the, buying the Jews. Okay? And that is the despair. This is not the Gentiles who are ruling over them. This is the Jews. Okay? And we live in a world, this is real. Nehemiah chapter 5 is one of the most important chapters which will reflect all through history. Because we live in a world that is dominated by greed and profit. And what it causes is despair. Okay, this is the Canaanite spirit. A Canaanite spirit. Okay, because mammon. Matthew 6 and verse 4, Jesus said, if I'm right, no, no, it's not 6, 4, not 6, 4. Matthew 6. Yeah, you cannot, so, not 4. Give me a second. You cannot, it has to be 6, 24, yeah, I took one digit out. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon means gain. It's a Syriac word, it's an Aramic word, which means gain. You cannot. Meaning, the nature of this fallen world is that people will only serve if there is gain in it for them. And that can come into a home. The home is finished. Home is finished. It can come into a city. It is finished. And politicians, basically politicians, though they talk big, they are in debt for gain. Otherwise, we have to ask even in our country, how is that every five years later when they are filing their returns, their income has gone so much high. When he stood for election the first time, he shows his total income has 20 um, two million, three million. Five years later, it is 200 crores. Where did this money come from? 
Where did this money go? You look at you have to look at returns. You just look at the, how they file and they're supposed to be public servants. I think they're public thieves. Where did this money come from? How did they make this money? No. This is the issue. We're not talking about politicians alone. We're talking about every rung of society. God will say in his indictment to Israel in the book of Ezekiel. One issue caused the heart of it. It is mammon. It is gain. And if you look at verse 7, he will say that. I became very angry. In verse 7, he says, oh, no, no, sorry. Nehemiah 5, 7. Nehemiah 5, 7. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. One word over there. Okay. Usury. That is lending money for interest to your own brother. Your own brother. Imagine happening in the church. No? Imagine happening in the church. No? I give Peter money and says this is the rate of interest. I know you are in trouble. I know you need money. You know what I will do? I will lend you money. But I want 12%. Okay. And the Old Testament was absolutely clear about it. Exodus 22, 25. Leviticus 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. This is the law of God. When you give to the poor, don't charge him interest. And he also says that after a certain period of time, if he's not able to return, write off the loans. Write it off. It's your brother. Write it off. If you can give it, if you can't give it, fine. 25, Leviticus 25, 35 to 41, very strict. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. And if one of your brethren who dwells you by becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave, as a hired hand, servant, and a sojourner. He shall be with you and, you sh- and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. So don't buy him as a Let him work for you, but don't make him your slave. And when the year of Jubilee comes, he's free. And if he win that, he says, when you're free, don't send him with empty hands. Give him something so that he can start life on his own. The law of God was had inbuilt protection. That was the law of God because the law actually reflects the heart of God, the love of God. Okay. So what is the point of building all these walls? If families are struggling and families are broken up, and this dissension because of selfishness. And in the kingdom of God, God is saying, you don't see life as profit and loss. Here the rich saw a nice opportunity when they saw the struggle of the poor. And there is famine also. You will see there was famine. They saw a nice opportunity to make a quick buck. That's what they did. We will saw that's exactly what happened in the last one year. 
if you look during the lockdown and the pandemic the billionaires have become even only one billionaire became poor all the others became rich everybody became rich multiplied their income you know on on the blood of the poor literally on the blood of a poor now they are passing 1. whatever trillion stimulus if you understand their term it's full of pork you don't understand it so it is okay it's full of pork meaning it's supposed to be a covid 19 relief bill the last thing that is in it is covid all these blue states have messed up their budgets and it is bailing them out they spend on nonsense okay and cities on nonsense and it the whole money most of it will go waste will go into pockets special interest group and it, that is what they call it as pork okay and you will realize this is a story here also a story and we will say it's the best interest of the people but it is not is the vested interest of certain people it is not the best interest but this is what happens in every economy okay so the rich is making money over the poverty and the misery of the poor and the righteous indignation of nehemiah comes out he's very angry he didn't know the outcry reached him he was living in susa he has come there and then he understand this is what is happening within the body of god because whole purpose of the law galatians 5 verses 13 to 15 For you brethren have been called to liberty only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another okay understand you've been called to liberty but what does liberty mean to me should mean to you too i do not use my freedom to enslave you to enslave you to use you that to serve you for all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another beware lest you be consumed by one another the rich were devouring the the poor and now the poor are biting back and he says what are we doing here what are we doing here so the bible says when he heard he was very angry very angry and righteous anger righteous indignation is a very powerful motivating force when we see unrighteousness we are not angry there is something wrong with us because the why should we angry because the injustice that is happening no in our midst forget the gentile nations in our midst injustice that is happening reflects on the righteousness of god Oh God is righteous seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and when there is unrighteousness in the camp of God it reflects the righteousness of God and now in Jerusalem the city of God where the walls are being built day and night relationships have become transactional it is business and that happens no people have i don't know in the us they have uh, uh marriages what is that what is that they draw agreements they have agreements before they get married that is no clause divorce i mean before they get married they are already thinking about divorce it is no clause no claim no claim divorce it's all transactional relationship has become transactional and relationship in the church also becomes transactional it's not a covenant it's transactional if i don't get what i want i'll find another church where i get what i want there's no covenant 
Well, God binds himself to us in covenant. We refuse to bind ourselves to God in covenant and to one another in covenant. Okay? So, services sector is no longer serving one another. It has become the sector of exploitation. They're exploiting each other. And as usual, the poor always gets crushed. But in the kingdom of God, the king got crushed. It's not the poor. He became poor, the Bible says, so that we could become rich. In Luke 22, verses 24 to 27, Jesus really comes on hard on his disciples and corrects them. There was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. He who governs you as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. That was also his final lesson before he went to the cross, when he washed his disciples' feet. He said, you don't understand. It's relational. Okay, it is related, not transactional. We, we are called to serve one another and Christ said, I'm showing you a new way of the body. <coughs> and we forget in the kingdom of God that riches, power, influence, everything has been given to us as a trust by God to serve. Even the power has been given to serve. Even the influence we have has been given to serve. And Nehemiah is a role model in his generation. He had left a very rich, lavish lifestyle to get into the trenches, to build the walls, to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And he led by example. In verse 10, listen to what he says. He had come with a company of his servants. I also, my brethren and my servants, I am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. He says, I'm doing, I'm giving them money. I'm lending them money. I'm not saying he should, you should give money freely because it's not a good thing to give money freely. You should lend money. So start a bit business, start a business because if you give them freebies, people will never grow. They will, they, you are destroying them. Should never give them anything unless like there's a poor man over there today morning. I called him. I said, I, he, I can't speak to him because he doesn't speak any language. So my neighbor asked uncle, uncle, if you have anything, I said, okay, tell him to come on Monday. I'll find some work for him because I always see him sitting on the roads. But why should he sit on the roads and I give him freebies? It's not helping him. So I said, I can give you work. Just do all the co-webs outside, everything wash. And he was very happy. I know, but I wish I could talk. Because you don't help people other, unless they are invalid, like our Chandu, Amalu in a special needs home. They need, they need to be taken care of from birth to death. They, there's nothing they can do. So those people in our community who are special needs, so a new system has risen where special needs children identified in the womb and aborted. And if I'm some Scandinavian countries, they're aborted by law because they see it has the burden. Okay, that's how the my human mind is going, but they should be, that's why we call them, we don't call up the home of the handicapped, we call it special needs, and we take care of them, and we actually spend a lot of money on them, while they have nothing to give us, why? It's a reflection of us, how that we take care of them, take care of them, reflection of us, we take care of the most vulnerable in our society, we don't dumb them, 
If they are among us, we take care of them because they cannot take care of themselves. Then those who can take care of themselves, we don't give them freebies. We give them work. We create an opportunity by saying, hey, look here, brother. I will. I have money. I will lend you money. Why don't you start something? Or why don't you do something? Earn something. If you give him free, you are not helping him. Okay, that's why the Bible says he who does not work should not eat. Because you have to inculcate the habit of working. You have to. You don't give things free. You don't give things free. You're not helping anybody. So here we need to realize everything that is given to us is given as a trust. And he says, you know what? I'm lending them. It's not I'm giving them. I'm lending them. Lending them money and I'm lending them grain. Stop. Charging interest. This is your own brother. This is your own sister. This is your own family. You know? And Proverbs 19 and verse 17 says, 19-17, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. Lends to the Lord. And he will pay back what he has given. He says, you know, you will never lose. Okay? It's not the other way. Payback time. Yeah. It's not that way. No? He will pay you back. Okay? So God is moved to righteous anger. Okay, God is moved to righteous anger. Look at John chapter 2 verses 13 to 15. Jesus is moved to righteous anger. He's come to his temple in Jerusalem 2000 years ago. The Passover of the Jews was at the hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. They had made his father's house a place of business. Okay? Basically, they were Stealing left, right and center. We know what it is. We have no time to get into the nitty gritties of what was happening there in the temple. But you know, Jesus was so upset. He was so angry. You know why? Because we turn our Christian life into commerce. And that's, that's the problem with mega churches. It's not that we don't need places to meet. But why do you want to put in these many millions and this is the hard-worked money of people. What do you actually do? Where do you take care of your people? How many crores? I mean, people don't understand crores, okay? Yeah, millions they pour into. And where does all this money go? Why are you not taking care of people? Yes, we need buildings. Yes, we need walls. But if you are not helping one another, God says, you know what? You have failed the entire purpose of the cross. In Mark you know, Jesus did it twice at the end of his ministry too. Mark chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. He's angered again. 2. Mark chapter 2, 3 to 5. Okay. They came to him bringing a paralytic. No, sorry, 3, 3, 3, 3. 3, not 2, 3. Okay, 3. He said to the man who had a withered hand, step forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on Sabbaths to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And he looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart. This is what happens when religion becomes commerce. You have people broken in your midst and there's no compassion at all. And you bring, use the law against them and the law is for them. 
the law is for them, but you turn the law against them. And he says, he said, and he was so upset and angry. He's angry and upset. He says, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with you guys? No. For instead of serving the weak, the infirm, and the poor, they used it to serve themselves. Okay. In Matthew 23 and verse 23. This is the indictment. Because we build structures and we forget the people. And that's exactly what Nehemiah. We need walls. We need a temple. We need all this. But what is it for? Who is it for? It is for the people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin, have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice. He said, what happened to justice? What happened to mercy? What happened to justice? Is it what you are doing? Is it just? Nehemiah is asking. You are lending money on interest to your brother? Is it just? Where's your mercy? The poor have no money. They have no food. No? And what are you doing? You are even lending food for profit. Okay, I will give you 20 kilos of rice. When your harvest comes, I need 30 back. He says, what's wrong with you guys? That's exactly what was happening. Nothing is free. You are making use of an opportunity. The pandemic has become an opportunity to fleece the poor and not to serve the poor. Serve the poor. And it's indictment against them. He says there's nothing wrong with tithes. But the problem is you should have done without leaving the others undone. Verse 24 and 25. Blind guides, you who strain out a knot and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside, do you know what you are? Full of extortion and self-indulgence. Full of, you exhort. You're not lending. You're exhorting from the poor and spending it upon themselves. That's why I get upset by the lifestyle of these mega pastors. Not all of them. You have to look at that. And then immediately they will say, we did an outside check. Our lifestyle is incomparable to an organization of this amount of revenue. Where did you go? You're comparing your church to an IT company and the CEO gets this much. I should get. Where did you go? What have you brought the kingdom of God into? Do you know your gospel? Do you know your scripture? Jesus had an indictment on his own disciples when they were talking about that same language. He says, what are you talking about? If it's your own money, it is okay. We are not talking about that. If the money that's generated from the ministry, we have to be very, very careful how we handle it and how we look. If your father left an inheritance or your wife is an employee working, that's a different question. Nobody is questioning that. That's yours. But in ministry, it's a different question altogether. No, and that is the indictment of the church, and that's the indictment over here. So God, God says, how we run our homes, our churches, our ministry is a reflection of our faith. And this exactly was the point James was raising, very, very pointedly, in James chapter two. James chapter two, verses fourteen, I think. James chapter two. Yeah, verse 14 to 18. 14 to 18. What does it profit my brother? And if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, 
And one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. There was this video which I forwarded to me, which I posted to a few people. It was about a Korean pastor who saved 1,500 abandoned babies in strategic places. He will keep these boxes. So any child who is born illegitimately is nobody wants. He will say, just place it in the box and call him. And he rescues him. It's a beautiful video. I'll post it. It's just one man. Okay, one man, 1,500 lives saved. <laughs> one old pastor, 1,500 lives saved. Okay, and imagine... Let's imagine, I mean, now, of course, government is very hostile, it's very difficult, but imagine when we had the freedom, all the churches in India had decided, you know what, you don't want some, you want, don't want a baby, you can leave it at our gate. We have a different reflection altogether of the church. Completely different picture altogether. For this thing, you know, that the church starts reflecting the mercy and the justice of God. You know that, no? no? Because in religion it is different. You need to realize, like, if you have poor people sitting under temp- outside a temple, they are waiting there, hoping for an offering because the religion says that if you give um, the poor money, it is good for you. You're not giving it for him. There's a, there's a profit in it. When Jesus says, let your right hand give without your left hand, he is saying you should be given so that you are sure that you are not looking for gain in your giving. So that, okay, Apo, you know what, you were in need, I gave you 5,000, okay, Apo, saying that later when I need, I can always go and say, Apo, I need 5,000, because she will say, oh, he gave me 5,000 when I was in trouble, now I have to help him out. You're getting it? Or, donated by, all churches will have donated by so and so. You have a reputation. You are a philanthropist. Jesus said, no. The, the motive is gain. You haven't really given anything. You already took from it. Okay, so you need to have a religion. There is a motive in, ga- in giving. It is gain. It is not gen- necessarily, it may help the other person, but your motive was not. And that's what the Bible is talking about, if you have faith. Because the entire purpose and the goal of the gospel is redemption. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me for what? To set the captives free. To set the captives free. And here you will see the entire thing would have gone wrong if he hadn't taken action immediately. And when the church began 2,000 years ago, it began with that power. They understood the reflection of Christ. They understood what the cross meant. God gave himself for man on the cross. He took nothing. He gave everything. And Acts after 2, verse 42. 242. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Okay? And in the breaking of bread. And the fellowship is the test of the doctrine. Otherwise the doctrine has failed us. Or we failed the doctrine. Fellowship is always the test. What you heard about Christ, can you practice? If you look at the breaking of the bread, we immediately make it into communion and judgment. It is yes, but also you need to realize they all had meetings in different houses and they ate from house to house. Nobody had any issue with that. Whatever they had, they served. 
they lived as a community they shared each other's problems and burdens verse 44 to 47 now all who believed were together okay all who believed were together and had all things in common sold their possessions and goods divided them among all as anyone had need so continuing daily with one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising god having favor with all the people and the lord added to the church daily those who were being saved you see they had understood the gospel the gospel is the gospel of a you give they give they understood and in this very very powerful environment in acts chapter 5 verse 1 and 5 two people come with an ulterior motive okay they are trying to break that fellowship with money motive is different motive is gain understand okay it's not that they are taking they are giving but the motive in the new covenant church that motive also is judged it's not your giving why are you giving for what purpose are you giving bible says there was a certain man named ananias with sapphira his wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it brought a certain part laid it at the apostles feet and peter said ananias why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained was it not your own after it sold was it not your own control why have you conceived this thing in your heart you have not lied to men but to god did you see what is stock happening over there The problem was not that they sold and gave money. The problem was the motive. The whole motive was gain. They thought by giving this money, they would be approved into the leadership and they would have a reputation to be among one of the close circle of the apostles. So the giving was for nothing connected with the poor in the church. It was for gain. It was for gain. And immediately judgment came in over there. Immediately judgment came in over there. Okay, if you look in Acts chapter six and verse one, again there is a dissension coming. You need to realize the church went through this, so we need to understand this is a major issue. In those days, when the number of disciples were multiplying, they arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The two groups have come in the church: Hebrew believers and Greek believers, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. They are breaking the rule of love. the body is one there is no distinction imagine no we are one two three we are um, five people sitting over here five people sitting over here and i am asked to serve and i serve peter and as i say pastor vijay who is indian he is indian brother okay you have little you have little you are african brothers think about it just think about it happening in the church that's exactly what happened they gave more to the hebrew and gave less to the greek because those who are serving are hebrew Okay, think about it. You know? and these are things that go to the heart of the matter. So, what are you building? What are you building? God says, "I am not in this construction project. I, I withdraw myself. I withdraw myself." So, we have to be very, very careful about how we do the things of God. How we do the things of God. And that's what Nehemiah is very angry. Yes, you no, know? he's 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 got a testimony. Remember, he's got a personal testimony, so he's he's able to rise up. In Acts four, verse thirty-two to thirty-five, you will see it's the same. 
Now the multitude of those who believed were one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know why? Because of their attitude. Great power, great grace. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. You know, the entire structure of the church was changed. Before I close, I want to look at two more verses so that we understand, because the gospel breaks the heart of the old man. The old man's heart is framed in greed and for gain. Gain. Okay. Acts chapter 11, 26. And then one more verse after that. When they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was there for a whole year. They assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Read that sentence again. The disciples were first. Let's not say the disciples were first named. They were called. Who called them Christians? The outsiders. They looked at them and said, they reflect the life of Christ. You know what these people need to be called? They need to be called Christians. They didn't name themselves. They were called. Outsiders saw their life. And you see, there's only one label that fits these people. These are Christians. They reflect Christ. They reflect Christ. They were called Christians. First time they were called in Antioch. Before that they were called the people of the way. But there they said, no, these people were called Christians in Antioch. And that's where Nehemiah is rising up. And Nehemiahs have to rise up in the political structure, business structure, everywhere. People have to rise up and you say, you know what? What I have is a trust. My life is a trust. My strength is a trust. My power is a trust. My resources are a trust. You know what? I have been given this for the benefit of others. When I do that, I'm storing up riches in heaven. One day God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. No, we have to change the way we think. And here is Nehemiah rising. He's not only left his position and a rich lifestyle. He's come over here. He's with them day and night, sleeping in the working clothes, down in the trenches. And then not only that, they didn't even know. He was lending his money and he was lending the food stock he had, giving it to the poor. Charging no interest. No interest at all. So he was not only building a wall, he was also living a life that should be lived behind those walls. It's not enough to build a wall. Okay. These are the ten commandments, the wall. But God says, do you live the life, this commandment? Love God, love your neighbor. Do you? That's the final statement in James chapter 1 and verse 27.
pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this. You should read 26 also, which are 26 will also what religion is. Okay, we don't have to go there. Pastor Vijay preached there yesterday. Anyone among you thinks is religious, but does not bridle his tongue because out of his own heart it comes. Out of the heart, he talked about bitterness. Out of the heart flows. So says, you know what? Then this religion is useless. So two things are mentioned over there about religion. The first thing is out of your heart what you say. If you're, what you're saying is full of bitterness and anger and hatred and everything, he says your religion is useless. It's a useless religion. It is, it's, it's just outwardly. Inside we already see what comes out of your mouth. So your religion is useless. The second thing is about living. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. When I preached to the Nepali church, I told them, is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He brings two things over there. One is the world. The world is built on gain. If you want to remain unspotted from the world, God says, this is what you do. Take care of orphans and widows. Why? Because they have nothing to give back to you. They have nothing to give back to you. It's a challenge to you. What can an orphan give to you? Nothing. Because widows in that community are the poorest of poor. That's why the widows were being taken care of the church. We have no husband, no children, nothing. They are destitute. So the church was feeding them. Take care of the orphans and the poor. Because when you take care of an orphan, there is no gain. Let us ask, what does Chandu give you? Nothing. What does Amlu give you? Nothing. What does Umati give you? Nothing. What does Mary give you? Nothing. What does Joy give you? Nothing. They gave nothing. What did uh, Uday give us? Nothing. What does uh, Raksha give us? Nothing. What does Matulika give us? Nothing. All these children gave us nothing. Right? But it's a test for us. It's a test. What do widows give you? Nothing. They're not going to give you anything. Even if you start a widow center and start some cottage industry over there, what they produce is not even enough to feed them. It's just to keep them occupied. They can't give you anything. Okay? And God says that's a test. That is your test. Because that's how you remain unspotted in the world because the entire structure of the world is based on gain. It's on gain. And the kingdom of God is based on not gain. It is based on loss. Any man who loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will gain it. On the other hand, any man who gains his life will ultimately lose it. This is a principle absolutely contrary to each other. Absolutely contrary to each other. And you cannot have a gospel that contradicts the, this fact. That's why Nehemiah climbed. Because people would be very happy. I just ignore it, Nehemiah. Let us build the wall. And then blow the trumpet and say, I finished my construction. And you can put it on. On the year of Nisan the 14th, dedicated by Nehemiah, governor of Judea, sent by the king. Nothing. No plaque. Nothing. People are fighting. They have no food. Inside what is happening is people are lending food and money on interest. What are you doing here inside? What are we building the wall for? What are we building the church for? What are we building? Is the question God is asking. What are you building it for? You know, what are you building? And that's what happened to Jesus' first act. He comes into the temple and the Bible says the zeal of the Lord had consumed him. He says, my father's house shall not be a place of business. And it begins with the individual and goes to the home. 
do we have transactional relationships in the house? That's the first question. That's where it begins. How am I? Is it a transactional relationship as a person? When I go out, am I? That's, that is why Joseph was made king. Why did he became king? He's in Potiphar's house. It's not a transactional relationship. He's getting nothing out of it. He's a slave. He gets no salary. But you know, he gave his best. And when he, when Potiphar's wife comes and tempting him, he can look at it as a terms of loss and gain. And he says, you know, actually if I listen to her, it is gain. He says, no, it is loss. It is loss. There is no gain in this. I will ultimately lose with God. So he says, I would rather lose. Rather lose. And that's what God is talking about. No? If we stop thinking about relationships as transactional, you know, that I have to do this simply because it is the right thing to do. And this is what God would do. God would do. You, know, you will start actually enjoying it. Even if you don't get a pat on your back and a good, well done job, it does not matter. It's not, that's not matter. No, it's not matter. There's a lot of stuff which we can do. A lot of stuff which we can do. And you know what? Life becomes very, very easy. And you know what? The grace of God starts. That's what is a great power of God was operating in the church. And great grace. Reason is that when God saw the people living his life on earth, he says, you know what? I will release my power and I will release my grace upon the people, the power upon my servants and grace among the people and nobody had any need. It's not that they were all very rich, but they were all happy. They were all happy. Okay. And then issues came, immediately dealt with. Chapter 5, two, a couple comes over there, tries to bring money for gain. Immediately struck dead. Chapter 6, there's a division in the distribution of it. Immediately the apostles gather and says, elect seven men from among you, full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. Let them wait on the tables. We will not allow that spirit of mammon to get into the church. This is not for gain. There will be no discrimination. We will know we are the body of Christ. We will not discriminate. We will not discriminate. No, because it's one body. My right hand and my left hand are both same parts of the same body. Not that this is a Hebrew hand and this is a Greek hand. No, they're both of the same. Once you came into Christ, there is no division. There's nothing called Greek or Hebrew. No black or white. These are the problems of America. Okay, so the, I'm not talking about what slavery. Slavery was there throughout the Bible, but after it was abolished, after it was abolished, we have to be very, 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 very careful to know that there's nothing called a white Christian or a black Christian. That's just the color of my skin. But that's not the color of my heart. That's not the color of my heart. And even in our, in our churches in India, it's a different thing. It is not race, it's caste. And we have to be very, very, oh, you remember I always used to tell people, you will know your heart when the proposal comes for your daughter. That's when you will know the state of your heart. Oh, you got this daughter and suddenly daughter comes and says, I like a boy. Okay. It's a believer. Huh, believer. Oh, good, good. And, uh, Adi, and, uh, <laughs> he's from that caste? Everything falls apart then. Our heart has been revealed. Okay, so please be very, very careful. Be very, very, very careful. Very careful. So this morning, we'll get to the heart of the matter. What are we building? 
Why are we building this? Will the Father approve what we are building? That's the key. Walls can be built, cities can be built, nations can be built, but unless the Lord builds, let's have that, Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2, unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. If the Lord has to build it, you have to do it his way. There has to be justice, there has to be mercy, and has to be knit together in love. You can put watchmen, the best watchmen on the ramparts, but enemy will come and destroy it. You know why? Because God will not watch over what is not built according. And the apostles and the Holy Spirit were very zealous about the church they were building. And immediately the watchman rose in Peter and said, and he died on the spot. Wife comes in, dies on the spot. He will say, we will not, indictment on the church. We will not allow this to happen. You know why? Because God was building. These things don't happen in church now because God is not building. It's not building. If God is to be building, then church will be full of dead bodies now. We'll have a funeral a day. <laughs> no, but humor aside, this is the fact. Okay, this is the fact. Come honey, let's pray now. March 1st, let us start. We've been building the wall, teaching principles and all that, but at the end of the day, Bible says there's only one way you can remain unspotted from the world. Because the entire world structure is built on one premise. What is it in there for me? For me. It's a business proposition. Business proposition. But in the kingdom, it is not... Okay, it's J.F. Kennedy who said it, not that he was a great man, but he made a great statement. Do not look what your country can give it to you. But look what you can give it to your country. It's a great statement attributed to him. But he wasn't a great man. Democrats tried to make him great because he was a Democrat. After him, after him, another, another Catholic has come onto the throne. This is a second Catholic on the throne. So he denies everything what Catholicism actually teaches. It's sad. It's an indictment on him, not on the church. No. But what I'm saying is statements are there and they're powerful statements. You know? The church does not. As every individual who goes into the church is not going there to see what I can give. And it's Jesus himself who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So that's the key. Come on, lead us in prayer. Father, this morning we just come to you. This first day, Lord, of this third month, we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Lord. Nehemiah 5, Lord, is the heart of the matter. You said in your word, you can give everything that you owe, you have. Even give your body to be burned, but if you do not have love, you have gained nothing. Because your sacrifice was also for gain. You're hoping for something. But Lord, when you gave your son, it was not for gain. The only thing you wanted was to save and to redeem a hopeless people. People who were your enemies. People who were filthy sinners. People who were powerless to save themselves. You got nothing in return, Lord. Everything was yours. By right of creation, everything was yours. But you gave yourself to redeem 
a broken, hopeless people. Us. Church cannot be anything different, Lord. Anything different. Help us, Lord, how we build. For there is a cry, as Apostle James wrote in his epistles, a cry of the laborers which have reached heaven, crying out. There's a cry of the poor and the oppressed from around the world, Lord. Around the world. Around the world. They see their liberties being taken away. They see their freedom be taken away. They see their lives being taken away, Lord. And they have no voice to speak for them. No voice. We are not talking about social justice here. We are talking about my mercy and justice that is of the kingdom of God. Oh Father, change our heart, Lord. We are not looking for gain, a name, a reputation, money, power, influence. Help us not to be like the swamp in Washington. Influence peddlers. Selling and buying souls. The corridors of power. And the people grow poorer and poorer. And these people grow richer and richer. Both power and money goes into the hands of a few people. But church is meant to be different. That is not what the church is. Church is what we read in the book of Acts. It reflects the heart of God. There's nobody in the church, the Bible says, who had need. Because the church took care of its own. And I pray, Father, once again when revival and awakening begins, we don't want mega churches, Lord. We want churches that can can be called families. Where a shepherd is given enough that he can take care of. Let a thousand churches like that arise instead of one mega church. Which feeds into the ego of one man. They are taken well care of. And they thrive. And the Lord adds to their number daily then. Help us Lord. When churches like that arise, nations will change. It will change. Then that house is not divided, that city is not divided, and the nation is not divided. They are one. With one purpose. One purpose. To love God with all their heart, with all their might, all their strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. There's no envy, there's no jealousy, there's no competition, but they are in one accord, with one purpose. It is possible, otherwise it will not be written. It's not an impossible thing. With God all things are possible and all things are possible with him or her who believes. So today I pray, Father, once again, faith will arise. Faith will arise. God will make us into that kind of people daily, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bind the spirit of infirmity in the body of Christ. Yes, yes, yes. I command it to leave in Jesus' name. 
I speak healing into Brother Sid's body, Sammy, Larry. I command the sickness to leave. Touch Nev. Heal him. Touch Lord. Touch the body of Christ. Thank you for all you healed last week, Lord. So many just came out of the sick bed. Surupa, Lord. Touch her. Touch her, Lord. And all the infections stop. Let her pick up a mat, oh Lord. Oh, Father, and walk. Rafeth, Father, I pray that you would touch him and you would heal him, Lord. We believe, Lord. We believe in supernatural healing, Lord. Because you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. We cannot preach the gospel without preaching healing, Lord. Because you said, go preach the kingdom and heal the sick. Oh, Father, raise them up from their sickbed, Lord. We pray for protection for all those who are being attacked for their faith, Lord. We come against the powers of darkness in the name of Jesus. God arise and his enemies be destroyed, Lord. Let them be destroyed, O oh Father. Oh Father, let fire fall on the wicked place. Places, Lord. Inhabitations of the wicked, Lord, be consumed by the fire of God, Lord. Where they come together plotting evil, Lord, releasing demons, calling upon demons. Let the fire consume those places. And the demons go back to the abyss from there where you are called out, O oh Master. It will not come near us. It will not come near your people, Lord. Put a wall of fire around your people, Lord. Let there be confusion in the ranks of the enemy, Lord. Let them fight among themselves. Let the works of darkness, Lord, be exposed as you are doing now in U.S., Lord. One by one, the kingpins are falling. They are being exposed, O oh Lord. Oh, Father, it's just the beginning. The workers... The evil workers who join hand in hand with the enemy, they will be exposed and they will be taken out, O oh Lord. God will have a people who will stand true to him in this hour, O oh Lord. I pray for our pastors, all our pastors around the world, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray the hand of God would be there upon them and they would stand steady in this hour and they would steady their ship, Lord. The church would stand, Lord, without shaking, without being rattled with no division, no dissension, nothing, that they will take care of the poor, which is there in their midst, O oh Lord, that we will not forget the great commission, Lord, that we have been anointed to take care of the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring forth liberty for the captives, O oh Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Go with us, Lord, to this day, through this month. We believe and we proclaim it will be a month of victory. And God will take us in triumph. And all the plans of the enemy will be foiled. And Christ will be triumphant in his church. These 31 days, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Bless your people. Meet them at their point of need, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.